if you only care about tragedy, if you can exploit race, you don't actually give a damn. Let's talk about Jordan Neely and cut the race bait. I'm Tommy Laren, and the show starts now. So by now, y'all heard of Jordan Neely, the mentally ill and violent homeless man who died on the subway after being restrained by a Marine veteran and other passengers. Neely was a man crying out for help, no doubt, and it is truly heartbreaking. But this is how the media is choosing to portray him, choosing to lie to you about who he was, all to stoke racial tension. But he was no angel. His record shows 42 prior arrests. One of those arrests involved the kidnapping of a seven-year-old girl in 2015. In 2019, he punched an elderly man in the face. At the time of his death, Neely had one active warrant for the assault of an elderly woman in the East Village in November of 2021, where he shattered her nose and busted her eye socket. The day he was restrained and killed, he was acting erratically and threatening other passengers. But because Jordan Neely was black and the Marine is white, Neely has become the latest St. George Floyd. And the activists want you to know if a tweaked out black man threatens your life and you happen to be white, you better take it or you're a racist. In fact, you might as well just die because after the mob gets a hold of you, your life is as good as over anyway, all for defending yourself and others. And of course, BLM has resurfaced from hibernation to call for mayhem, chaos, and destruction. translate. Listen up, y'all. BLM needs a new cause to exploit and a martyr to loot stores, steal Gucci belts, and vandalize businesses in the name of, so it's on and poppin' for justice, of course. Also, BLM Inc. has been waiting on ready for a new opportunity to swindle millions to buy more luxury real estate in Southern California, so if you can't physically participate in tearing down your own city, be sure to donate. That's what this is. Nothing more, nothing less. It's a race bait. Joe has one foot in the nursing home and both hands in the pockets of foreign entities. Major economic powers are dropping the U.S. dollar. Hundreds of thousands of illegals are amassing to rush our border. Kids are being exploited by school administrators and or told to cut off body parts. The truth about COVID is close to being exposed. So what do white liberal Democrats do? They stoke a race war over a violent vagrant who was accidentally killed on a subway. Happens every four years, folks. The same people who likely walked past this man every day, not caring about his condition, not caring about his mental illness or his struggles or his misfortune, now want you to believe they revered him. Did they? Do they? If he was choked out by a black man, would they care? If he was white, would they care? I think we all know the sad answer. Jordan Neely didn't deserve to die. The system failed him, and he failed himself in a lot of ways. But to write this off as racism is not only a lie, but it's a dangerous lie. The mob will relentlessly come after the Marine who subdued Neely till his life is ruined, he's killed, or behind bars for life, all for trying to protect his fellow passengers. You know, we often see this exact kind of story where a violent vagrant beats, assaults, or rapes an innocent person as onlookers do nothing, and we wonder why. How many times have we seen videos or headlines of someone on a psychotic break pushing innocent bystanders onto subway tracks or assaulting innocent women, children, senior citizens in plain sight and are shocked that bystanders did nothing? 
Well, these passengers, they did something. You know, your soul can break for Jordan Neely and you can mourn his life without condemning those who restrained him. The two things are not mutually exclusive. Joining me now with his take on it all is YouTuber and cultural commentator, Emery King. It's great to have you. It's been a long time, my friend. It has, it has. Uh, it's good to see you, Tommy. Uh, congratulations on the marriage. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, I've been following your Twitter account always, but especially over the weekend, because your commentary on this to me has been so important and so right on the nose. But I want to get into this a little bit. I know that you have a background that maybe people are not familiar with, and I know that this actually hits closer to home for you than it does, does a lot of other people. So can you explain to my audience what your initial thought was when you saw all this Jordan Neely stuff come out? Um. I lived on the streets since I was 11 years old. Don't let the polo sweater in the house fool you. Um, I, I had a very violent childhood. I went to my first mental home when I was eight. Uh, I went to my second one when I was nine and my third, I believe I was 11. I was also homeless uh, when I got out of prison and before I went to prison. Uh, and I'm not talking about a friend's couch homeless. I'm talking about street, park, bench, alleyway homeless. Um, the What was what was available to me in my youth from these mental facilities was way more comprehensive, albeit they had me doped up on uh, mipramine, Zoloft, and, and Ritalin. Um, but when you're an adult, that's over. Uh, the best thing you're going to get from your homeless shelter is, is the weekly AA meeting and some clothes from the clothes closet. But um, we can call this for what it is, and this might be a bit of a, a controversial take, albeit true. Had this been a black man that choked out Jordan Neely, this would be all over World Star. Uh, unfortunately, that's not the case. This isn't about uh, black love. This is about white disdain. Let's not mince words, you know? Yeah, and again, I think that the coverage of this has been so disappointing because you have an opportunity to talk about homelessness and mental health and how these Democrat-run cities and really all cities are failing these people. We clearly don't have a solution to this. If you just look at San Francisco, you look at New York City, you look at Los Angeles, I mean, the story is the same in all these major cities. These people are being failed. And we look at this and we have compassion for these people, but then you look at people who just need to ride the subway to get to and from work or to live their lives. And to me, when I saw this video and now the subsequent videos of this Marine and other passengers, by the way, who were not white, trying to restrain this man, I didn't see that and think, oh my God, they want to kill a black man. I saw that and said, hey, they're really worried that this guy who's threatening passengers is going to kill somebody and we better do something. Why do you think that that has been lost in this conversation? I, I well, like I'll go back to where I said it's, it's about the disdain for uh, for white people. Um, and this isn't a I don't think this is a race thing. I think it's a cultural thing. This is not an accurate representation of the black people in my rural suburban community. They don't subscribe to this nonsense. They don't. Uh, this does not, they don't identify with this uh, particular stuff, but yeah, it, it, you said it best. It opened up an amazing uh, opportunity for us to talk about mental health, uh, to talk about homelessness and, you know, but it, it drives me absolutely nuts because I was sitting in the same spot that, that that man was sitting in where people walked over me, where people ignored me, you know, where I was just, uh, I was a planet out of orbit. And now to see these same people clutch their pearls, it just, it's laughable. It's opportunistic. And uh, it, it's it, I, I don't I don't know how people can walk around with such zero self-awareness. This is the same people that go on American Idol and think they can sing and, and absolutely can't. So. Uh. 
I want to play some of the footage that came out yesterday showing kind of the aftermath of this and how this Marine actually acted and others that tried to restrain this man. Let's take a look at this and I want to get your thoughts. So when I see that, I see these people who wanted to restrain the man because they were afraid for their lives and the lives of other passengers, but I see them then trying to help him. It doesn't really look like a murder situation to me where they just wanted to kill this guy and get him out of the way. It really, what it looked like from that footage is that they wanted to restrain him, but they didn't want to kill him. They wanted to make sure he was okay. What is your take on the footage I just showed you? Same take, but, you know, we can lead a horse to water. We can't make them drink it. You know, some people, they're, they're, they're more attached to his skin color than they are to reason. Um, and I'm hearing from, I, I've got people that work for the MTA and I'm hearing unsubstantiated. I don't know, it's just the allegations that he is, this guy's a big ketamine user and was possibly on one of his ketamine highs. And similar to the George Floyd thing where you see the knee on the neck and you're like, okay, is this, is this, is this what killed this man? And then it turns out he was on fentanyl and methamphetamine and, and tested positive for COVID SARS-2. So uh, I, I think there's more to this and, and there's going to be things that play a factor. But when that footage come out, it's like, uh, it's, it's exactly what I expected. You know, it, I knew that this wasn't a lynching. I knew this wasn't a modern day hanging. Oh God, there's a Klan man around every corner. The, these, these Democrats and these liberals, especially when it comes to a white person versus a black person, they constantly need a dragon to slay. And, and there just really doesn't exist as many dragons as they assume that there are. I think also we need to get real about crime, especially in these major cities. I mean, I go to New York usually every weekend to go to Fox, and I see more homeless people now than I've seen in the last seven years that I've been going to New York frequently. So to me, this is a real issue that needs to be addressed. I've also lived in L.A. I've done stories in Venice Beach where these homeless people, they're firebombing each other's tents. I mean, they're fighting each other. They're shooting up drugs during the day and fighting at night. What, from your perspective, as someone who has lived this life that understands it perhaps better than most people, what is your take on how we get closer to a solution if there is one? Uh, the, the Venice Beach thing, I just took my 16-year-old to L.A., and uh, we got to watch a naked woman uh, head to toe walk right to us and right past us. It was bizarre. It was an eye-opener for her, but, it, 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 you know, this is the world we live in. The solution... Uh, is such a, um, if, if, if what was offered to me as an adult nowadays, I, I, I'm just a good actor. I, I act like I'm holding it together. Believe me, I'm just a father of five daughters. And I think they're my only sanity. Uh, but the solution I think is the only reason I was, um, uh, had the opportunity to go to such comprehensive medical clinics as a child was because my mother had insurance uh, without that, everyone's falling through the cracks. Uh, and, and, you know, then we go circle back to, you know, free health care, which, you know, uh, but there has to be a more um, 
Yeah, let's put it. Here's the solution, Tommy. Here's the solution. Everyone out there right now that's clutching their pearls about this black man, go down to your local homeless shelter and adopt one of these people. Bring them in your home. Help them. Teach them. Take them. Put them on your insurance. Take them to their, your medical, mental health clinic and get them on the medications they need. Otherwise, shut up. Show and prove. Do something about it. That's society failed this man, not a Marine on the subway. Uh, and real quick, I offered my guest uh, suite to that man uh, on the subway. I tweeted it out. If he sees this, free, uh, free room and board. Get you out of the city. <laughs> I think we need to get closer to something here because I don't think throwing the money at the homelessness and the mental health crisis, I don't think that it's working. I mean, you see in Los Angeles all the time, they, they have these huge props that people vote on where they want to dedicate millions of dollars to low-income housing or they want to build tiny homes for people. But if you don't address the addiction and you don't address the underlying issue, you can build these people mansions. It's not going to matter. They're still going to shoot up drugs. They're still going to be violent. They're still going to be tweaking all day long. It's really not helpful to just build people things or to just hand them money. I mean, I think it's getting to the core of this. But another thing that frustrates me is that ever since this has happened, every time that there is a tragedy like this and Republicans talk about mental health, the Democrats say, well, you wanted to cut funding for mental health. Well, it's because now Democrats include counseling young people to cut off their own body parts as mental health. And no, you're right, we don't support that because this gender-affirming care that has now been attached to mental health is not something that we're going to subscribe to. But they lump it in all together and then they say that we just don't care about the mentally ill. Yeah, the left is notorious for putting these bills together that'll 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 say uh, we want to we want to assign puberty blockers to kids. We want to give seventy five thousand for uh, white rabbit reservation preservation whatever. And they go down. They put on this all this stuff, and then they, at the very end they'll say, and also we want to give ten thousand dollars to the VA. And then when the Republicans see all the pork in there, and they're like, no, this is we're not voting on this. Then it's you don't care about the VA. You don't care about veterans. And and you know what? The left, or the liberals, the Democrats out there, they go for it every time hook, line, and sinker. They don't even read the bills. Yeah, that's a huge part of the frustration. But unfortunately, we don't get ahead of it and we don't message it correctly. So it also lies on our shoulders that we're not reaching these people, these low information viewers and voters. We're not getting to them before all the propaganda does. That's part of the problem here. Last thing I want to address with you, we've got... Uh, an invasion that's about ready to kick off. I mean, some would say it's been kicking off for the last two years, six million plus people, but it's about to get a whole hell of a lot worse. There's 700,000 already amassing, ready to rush our border. They're just strolling in like it's flipping Disney World. That's another part of this conversation I think people are forgetting and leaving out. These major cities are going to be inundated now with illegal immigrants, not to mention border cities and towns. So if you were worried about homelessness and mental health care and rehabilitation before, now add millions of people with no legal right to be here. And I think we've got a recipe for disaster on our hands. I don't think it's going to get much better. Well, we've got a, an election on the horizon. What better than to bring in some more people to vote for Biden or, or whoever's running? Uh, um, I, I, my heart goes out to the migrants who were struck by the SUV the other day, but uh, I, I, why isn't Abbott doing anything? I, 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 at some point, you have to uh, make an executive decision and, and federal government aside, you you have a duty and an oath to the, the citizens of your state and in the mayors as well. I mean, I... If I'm the governor of Texas, there is no way I'm allowing just 
after nine after 9 we shouldn't be having this conversation on 9 12 that southern border and northern border should have been absolutely sealed off uh, you know i'm sorry we're full no i agree and it's about to get a whole lot worse and unfortunately because they also label that racism we're not allowed to discuss that either too bad neither one of us care. I think we got to get to the truth. Thank you for sharing your story. I always appreciate your Twitter. I always appreciate you telling it like it is, no matter if it uh, pisses people off or not. And it's great to see you, my friend. Hey, I'll piss them off. I can fight. I ain't worried about it. Tommy, good seeing you. Tell the husband I said hello. I definitely will. Thank you so much. All right, up next, the Biden family rap sheet keeps growing, but still no consequences. I've got attorney and former deputy director of national intelligence, Cash Patel, on deck with his expert analysis. That's next. Sir, there is something personal that's affecting you. Your son, while there's no ties to you, could be charged by your Department of Justice. How will that impact your presidency? First of all, my son's done nothing wrong. I trust him. I have faith in him. And it impacts my presidency by making me feel proud of him. What exactly is he proud of that his whole family, like literally the whole damn family, including Dementia Brandon over there, looks to be part of a massive pay-to-play bribery scheme involving foreign entities and they'll likely never face consequences? Because that's impressive, but not something to be proud of, unless you're a Democrat, of course. Listen, we've known for months now that at least nine Bidens have received money from foreign entities while Joe was vice president, and millions came in over the span of several years. Two weeks ago, we discovered former Biden campaign henchman and current Secretary of State Antony Blinken worked with intel agencies to orchestrate that fake letter condemning the Hunter laptop as Russian disinformation, lies, lies, lies. Then last week, thanks to James Comer, House Oversight, and a brave FBI whistleblower, we got word that a file exists linking Joe Biden to a criminal scheme involving money for policy decisions during his vice presidency. That document has been subpoenaed, but anyone else less than confident it won't be destroyed? We are tripping over smoking guns here, and yet nothing. No one in cuffs, no one held accountable, and worst of all, the media is still running cover for the Biden crime family. Joining me now with his expert analysis into where, if anywhere, this is all headed, attorney and former deputy director of national intelligence, Cash Patel. Cash, I can't think of a better person to have to discuss all of this. And wouldn't you know it, we got all this information last week, and this week it's likely going to be buried. But I want to go back to this FBI whistleblower because I think this is going to be huge stuff. According to Comer, they're going to produce real information here about additional Biden family members, more countries, more LLCs, more bank accounts. Comer is saying this thing is bigger than anyone would have ever predicted, and it all points to Joe Biden. How confident are you that we're actually going to see this document, this file? Hey, Tommy, thanks so much for having me back on your show. Great to be with you. So look, the one thing I've always said when I was, whether I was a congressional investigator or prosecutor or what have you back in Russiagate, follow the money. Money doesn't lie. And, and Comer has subpoenaed the bank account records meticulously. And I think that was a brilliant move by him. And he borrowed a playbook out of Senator Grassley's um, whistleblower program. Look, Senator Grassley, for if you whether you like him or not, has run the most arduous whistleblower campaign in Senate modern history. When he speaks and he says people are lying and withholding information, it means he's already done his homework. 
And he went to Comer to get a subpoena for the bank records. We did the same thing with Senator Grassley during Russiagate. It's how we exposed the Steele dossier and that Hillary Clinton paid for it and the Dems covered it all up. So I do believe we're going to see the banking documents because they speak for themselves in this Congress. This is the type of accountability we've been calling for, not just to get the information, but to show it to the American public. Now, the fact that DOJ won't act on it in the matter that it will is a separate conversation, but I believe we're going to see the docs. Yeah, that FBI whistleblower file directly implicates Joe and the the Comer report that's coming out Wednesday. Apparently, we're going to see a direct link to the vice presidency, now the presidency. But although I understand these bank records and they're getting them, they're subpoenaing them, I'm worried about this file. I'm worried that they're not going to destroy all this evidence. I mean... I wouldn't put it past them as an average American who's been watching how this all goes and watching Hillary Clinton with bleach bit, with her deleting emails, with her smashing blackberries with hammers. I'm sorry, I'm just less than confident we're actually going to see in black and white the connection to Joe and pay to play. That's what I'm really concerned about. Look, your skepticism is well-founded based upon what you outlined and so much other activity. I will, however, push back a little bit on the counter-narrative. Um, these corrupt individuals at the FBI and DOJ are so arrogant, are so arrogant, they learned this from James Comey and McCabe and company, and it continues with Chris Ray, that they actually document themselves committing these acts of unethical behavior or unlawful behavior so they can later go out and say, look, we documented everything. That's how you catch these criminals, these government gangsters, as I call them, in the act. And this document to me is no different than the Russiagate documents we subpoenaed. The FBI wrote this document. It's called a 1023. It's a source reporting document. I used to run sources myself. The meticulous nature of FBI agents to document this stuff is well-founded because it's done at the working level. And the people atop buried it, but they're not going to destroy it because now they know that there's a whistleblower out there who has put them on blast. And as Senator Grassley and Comer have put forth, they have essentially laid out what the document spells. So if they can't find this document, they're going to be even greater trouble. And the document's dated from 2020. So I do think we're going to see the actual contents of this document at some point because they have been, they, the FBI and the DOJ, are so full of themselves that they're going to try to claim victory by producing it. Yeah, I, you know, I really hope that you're right. I really hope that we're going to see this, and I hope that we can message this accurately and correctly to the American people. That mm. was supposedly happening before the 2020 election, but then everybody colluded together to make sure that this Hunter laptop didn't see the light of day. But this media narrative here has been happening since 2020. It's been mm. Hunter Biden, and I think people are like, yeah, you know, he's a crackhead, he's got strippers, he's got a lot of issues, but they just narrow it down to just Hunter. And I think with that clip that I played, at the top of this with asking Joe about it, you know, the, the journalist made it very um, a very clear choice to say, oh, there's no ties to you, but, you know, how do you think this is going to impact your presidency? I think the media spin is already coming. I think that they know that there's going to be an indictment against Hunter, but they're going to make sure that they isolate it to Hunter, the crackhead. We feel bad for him, and I think they're going to do everything that they can to keep the link from Joe from happening, and I'm wondering if that's going to be effective from a media perspective. Look, you're absolutely right. These corrupt actors in government cannot exist without the worst criminal corrupt actors in the media to carry out their disinformation campaigns, whether it's Hunter Biden's laptop, Jan 6, impeachment 1, 2, you name it, classified docs, what have you. They are already involved receiving leaked information to carry out a narrative to end run a result that they know is coming. And I'm glad you played that clip 
Just think about this for a second. The commander in chief, the number one law enforcement officer in our country, has prematurely declared his son innocent about an investigation that has been ongoing for three years. Just imagine if President Trump and his son, Don Jr., were under investigation by the DOJ and Trump comes out and says he's innocent of all crimes. They would have lambasted him, and rightfully so, for putting his finger on the scales of justice. But when Joe does it, it's like you said, to satisfy a media narrative so they can soften the landing and keep distance from Joe Biden. They will charge him. They will enter a, a what we call a global plea agreement um, that I've said for a long time, which will be a slap on the wrist, basically a roadmap to his pardoning. He will serve no prison, and they will take the following narrative in the media. The two-tier system of justice is a right-wing conspiracy ploy. Look what we, the DOJ, did under Joe Biden, prosecuted Hunter. And they will try to cover up his actual criminal conduct. And like you said, the ties to the Biden administration and family. But that's where Comer's documents are so critical. And the American public must keep the pressure on Congress to get those documents out. That's the only way Congress works is when you almost embarrass them into acting. I hope so. But also, speaking of the media and of journalists here, okay, I think we can all tell that Joe Biden is slipping. Um, if you watch the other part of that interview, he said that we have to keep Obama from becoming president again. So it's quite obvious he couldn't even remember <laughs> Trump's name. I mean, the interview, within 30 seconds, he was already melting down. So I have to wonder, if we had an honest and a true media with a president who was clearly failing and doesn't even remember who his opponent is for 2024, imagine if journalists just pressed a little harder and they actually had access to this president. I think that Joe would blurt it out in a matter of minutes. I think if they really asked the tough questions here, I don't think that he would be mentally acute enough to come up with a story. I think he would blurt out the truth. I really do. No, you're absolutely right. Look, it's a play out of the FBI DOJ playbook. Don't ask the questions we know the answer to that will destroy our narrative. The media picked that up from the FBI and DOJ. When they're running investigations, whether it's FISA abuse or Hunter Biden's laptop, wait a second, we won't ask those questions. So later on, we'll say, no, we didn't think it appropriate in an investigatory capacity. And the same thing applies here to the media and their fake news and their disinformation campaigns with Joe Biden. Look, he is going to run from the basement again. They are going to do that intentionally. He is never going to sit down for an interview with a journalist with integrity who's going to questioning about the border failures, about China, about CCP, about Iran, about another war that he's invested us into for the next 20 years in the Ukraine, et cetera. He is going to have a narrative run for him, and he's going to sit down for minimal interviews, and the media will let him get away with it. But we are the ones who have to let him hold account for his past actions. And the best way to do that, I've always said this, is not a narrative. It's the government's own documentation highlighting their own corruption, which they are always so arrogant to record because they think no one will catch them. They That's the one thing the Democrats never learn. Whether it's Hillary Clinton, Pfizergate, Russiagate, Ukraine, classified docs, Hunter Biden's laptop, it's all been written up and it exists, and Comer must produce it because we have to lead the charge to educate the American public on the contents of this document. That's the second half of the mission. My last question for you, I mean, this all involves national security. It really does. If there is a pay-to-play pay scheme, just like, I don't know, this really feels like 
Hillary Clinton to me and the Clinton Foundation. This this all just seems like deja vu. You know, it was the same thing. Pay to play. You donate, you get policy decisions, you get access. We know that the Biden family, they're getting paid out by foreign entities. People that are, you know, school counselors are getting money. Hunter Biden, who's a crackhead, is getting money. I mean, the whole Biden family is cashing in. And there really is no logical explanation for why that would happen if not for their last name, access and policy decisions. But speaking of national security, I want to know how we got here, that our intel agencies that are supposed to be, and their main job is, to protect our national security, how do we get to a point where those people, besides the few whistleblowers here and there, have come together and colluded to put our national security at risk, all to make sure that Joe was elected once and likely will get elected again? How did this institution that is the FBI, the CIA, the DOJ, how did it fall so quickly to betray the American people? I think, unfortunately, the DOJ and FBI used to work at has fallen um, over time steadily and then sort of went into hyperdrive as soon as President Trump became President Trump. And that has played out over years. Their job, unfortunately, has been to politicize and weaponize DOJ to create this two-tier system of justice and have the media destroy that factual narrative with false information like you've been laying out and we've been discussing here. And the only way they continue to get away with it is when no one holds them to account. And the only backstop we have right now is a House of Representatives that are led by Republicans like Comer and Jordan and others. And we have to get the documentation out. Look, it wasn't just the Biden family. Louis Free, the former director of the FBI, gave the Biden Foundation $100,000 as Joe Biden was leaving the vice presidency and literally wrote an email that said, hey, looking forward to working with you guys in the near future. Just think about that. Our top cop 10 plus years ago already laid the groundwork for the corruption it's within government, within the FBI. So of course it's no surprise that they're in bed with the Ukraine and the CCP. And there is going to be no one in the mainstream media that reports on this. I'm so glad you're covering it. And people, I believe, have turned off the television and are turning to your program and other great programs to be like, wait a second, everyone else lied to us. And what Tommy and company have been saying to us has actually been true. They're not the conspirators. The other guys are. So we have to keep pounding the pavement and proving it with this documentation, like the letter to Louis Free, the 51 Intel letter, which is Steele Dossier 2.0. Look at how that's collapsing. Mike Morrell's narrative is blowing up, blinking and company for putting out this false narrative intentionally, and they never got it approved from the government in the first place. It's all so infuriating because we are being lied to. And I think if we can lead with that message, even to mm -hmm. people who don't want to get into the weeds of all of this, because I understand the average American out there, they're worried about buying groceries, paying the mortgage, getting their kids to school without them turning into the other gender. I mean, they don't really have time to worry about whistleblowers and documentation and pay to play. But if we lead with the narrative, you are being lied to by your president and your intelligence agencies, I think maybe we can start getting to the hearts and minds of some of these voters. God, I only hope so. Cash, thank you always for your analysis, and we'll keep on this. I always appreciate you being here. Thanks so much for having me on. Have a great day. Up next, Jern activists want you to believe the Hispanic mall shooter in Allen, Texas was motivated by white supremacy. Mm -hmm. Sure, my final thoughts are next. Before the bodies of the slain shoppers in Allen, Texas went cold, the mainstream media was already at work using the tragedy to fit their most beneficial narrative, and I have some final thoughts.
You know, I swear liberals get some kind of a sick joy out of using tragedy to push an agenda. The bending and shaping of the narrative, factual or not, has become like a sport for these jern activists. And the horrific shooting of eight innocent people at an Allen, Texas outlet mall on Saturday was no different. As the nation was learning about this horrific and random act of evil, journalists in the mainstream media were manifesting the shooter to be a neo-Nazi, a white supremacist, a Trumper. He used a firearm that already had them salivating. But if they could also tie him to whiteness or conservatism, that would be like hitting the jackpot for them. But then reality, the actual truth, the fact of the matter sunk in. And wouldn't you know it, the suspect who was shot dead by a valiant Allen police officer doesn't appear to be white and also targeted what appears to be predominantly white shoppers. So here you go, folks. Meet 33-year-old Mauricio Garcia. Does he look like the face of white supremacy to you? So now it'll go back to the gun. But unsurprisingly, the outlet mall he chose to target and shoot up is a gun-free zone. Weird, it's almost like murderers and monsters don't really give a damn about your laws, liberals. Kind of like the illegal immigrant who executed five people last weekend, Francisco Oropesa. Or the transgender Nashville shooter who chose to shoot up the Christian school knowing it was a soft target. What do all of those incidents have in common besides the perp not giving a rat's ass about laws in general? Well, the first two suspects have largely disappeared from headlines as soon as their identities were revealed and they didn't fit the narrative and the agenda of the left. Will Mauricio Garcia disappear as well? Well, if he turns out not to be a white supremacist, poof, gone I'm sure. Hell, we still don't have the trans shooter's manifesto because authorities are working overtime to bury that lead. They won't confirm what motivated Aubrey Hale, though they have the manifesto. This is sick, y'all. We've got lawless DAs, lawless politicians, a lawless president, a lawless border, and the left wants you and I, decent and law-abiding citizens, to give up our firearms and means of self-defense? No, <laughs> I don't think so, buckos. In fact, this Democrat-created crime climate is more reason for us normal and decent people to stock up on all the guns we can get our hands on, so come and take it. Those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless. Take care.